welcome to the evolution of parenting. I'm Yorona. And I'm Robert. And we're both advanced certified life coaches who met during our certification program. Through our coaching sessions, we connected as parents from two different perspectives. Robert, who's the parent of adult children, and myself, I'm the parent of a five-year-old. We both recognize that the role of parenting never stops, but it does change. In fact, it has to change. But if we've developed a strong and healthy relationship with boundaries and a strong sense of autonomy, we will remain with our children forever, long after we're gone. So what makes this podcast unique? Well, it's the stories that come from our parenting experiences and our perspectives that each of us have, as well as our backgrounds in child development and education. Each episode will explore a different topic related to parenting. We hope to give you, the listeners, some insight and takeaways and how you can relate this to your experience as a parent. Today's topic is about connection. Specifically, connection develops through empathy. And we want to illustrate this and start this off by listing some rules that we probably are all aware of. The first one, we're going to call it the golden rule. That's what we all know it by. And it's do unto others as you would want them to do to you. In some form or fashion, different cultures have different wording for that. There's a negative version of this as well. It says, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. And this is what we often really focus on as parents. What we'd like to explore, though, is the platinum rule. Some of you may have heard of this, and this may be new for others. And that is, do unto others as they would want done unto themselves. Yeah, so what's very interesting is that when we talk about the platinum rule, this is really at the heart of what I believe empathy is all about. Because mm -hmm. when you're thinking about what somebody else wants, you're less inclined to be thinking that they want exactly what you want. Let's say somebody um, is not very social and you are a social butterfly. And you are trying to get them to go out with you. Let's go party. Let's go do this. Well, from their perspective, they're looking at it like, I don't want to do that. It's That's not what I like to do. I like to stay in. I like to read books. I like to watch movies. But I don't like to go out and party. Well, if you're doing unto them as you would want done for yourself, you would want somebody to drag you out and go party and everything. Right. They wouldn't. So when we apply the platinum rule, we have a better understanding. Well, hey, your wants are different than my wants. Your needs are different than my needs. That means that I have to tap into what you want and what you need to really meet you where you are. Mm -hmm. And when we think about this from a child's perspective, what you mentioned about the, the don't connotation is like, don't do that. Don't do this. As parents, we're often saying to our child, don't, don't, you know, don't throw that. Don't run. <laughs> Don't, don't um, yell, don't scream, don't do that. The thing is, from a child's perspective, and we learn about this from, in the child development field, well, if you're telling them about what not to do, they get stymied in that moment because they don't know what to do instead. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what we've taught a lot of more newer educators, and over the past number of years, we've come up with the variation. Mm -hmm. So instead of saying, like, don't hit, we say, use gentle hands. And this gives us that operational aspect of like, okay, instead of caging them in and restricting them and say, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, 
imagine you were in a, in a China shop, right. And you feel like a bull in that China shop and you're like, okay, okay. I can't move. I can't do anything like that. I can't do, but we're not telling the person, okay, walk gently in the shop. Mm. If, if you're looking at something, look carefully at it. If you choose to pick it up, hold it carefully. Mm -hmm. And that's the reframe of telling people what they can do. And this really comes to a head when you're talking to your child. So this all leads us that empathy aspect of understanding that we want to lean into what you should be doing. Right. Means that we also want to be making a, a greater connection with the person to help them understand what we should be doing, what they should be doing. Right. And one of the ways we do that is we call, especially from child development perspective, to make that connection so that you're not just telling them what to do or asking them to do something. You're also connecting with them so that they understand that this is a human desire, human need, is what we call the empathy crouch. Mm -hmm. So when a child is young, they're smaller than you. <laughs> Obviously. It just um, has to be. Right? So when you are connecting to them, the best thing you can do is get down on their level and make eye contact. So important. I think about this all the time with my son. You know, when he's watching TV and he's checked out and he's watching a show and I say, Connor, 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 and he's not listening to me. I'm like, Connor, look at me, look at me. And then in that moment, he disconnects from the thing he's, he's connected to, which is the TV. And he reconnects to me, the person, and his mom. And then we make that eye contact. And it gives us that human-to-human -human connection. And it then his brain switches on that gear that tells him, I now need to connect to this other person in front of me. I find it very interesting, too, that when Connor's done something wrong and I'm trying to talk to him about that thing he did, and I say, Connor, look at me. And he doesn't want to look at me. It's also because he knows that in that connection, he'll have yes. to admit to the truth of what, what was going on there. And I do find it very interesting because that sort of bleeds into this idea that making true connections socially means being connected through devices. So I think that's something we definitely want to talk about. But yeah. um, one of the other things that I think about when I when I want to make that real connection to Connor and therefore drive that empathy tool, which allows me to learn more about him and what he wants and apply the platinum rule there is like when we're watching TV shows together, mm -hmm. he loves watching shows that are like his choice shows. Right. And then he'll talk to me about what's happening in the shows. So we're not just disconnectedly watching the show each right. in our own head, but we're talking about what happened there right. and relating to one another. And that helps me understand what where his interests lie. Mm -hmm. And then therefore, when we go to bed, we make up stories about that. Like right now he's really into Minecraft. So oh, there you go. There you yeah. Go. So when we go to bed, we'll tell stories. We'll totally do like a makeup story. All right, what story are we making up tonight? Okay, well, um, our guys are in this new uh, biodome, this new biome, and they're traveling the snow biome. And what are they doing there? And it comes, we come up with all sorts of stuff, but it helps me connect to what he likes. And yeah. then in, in turn taking, we tell, teach him why it's important to connect to what other people like. And, and that really helps us 
make that connection and grow together where we start to learn one another better. I, I love that. And, and you know, of course, as a parent, we all have our kids have these um, affinities shows that we may really not have a huge interest in. Like, I don't know if I really care what Bob the Builder's existential crisis is of the day or, you know, whether Barney and Baby Bob get everything cleaned up at the end of the thing. <laughs> So there is a there is a little bit of a sacrificial component to this, right? As a parent, you have to understand that that's where they are, and you may not even want to be there in any way, shape, or form. You may not even understand what Minecraft is, but being there with them and having the conversation is really important. Even if you have to put aside your momentary judgments, right? Or your assessment of the value or the worthiness of that show. Uh, which is what we have to do to get to the conversation piece. And I love that you brought that up because I think conversation is a, a metric and a way to get to connectedness, right? Uh, there were two conversations that I didn't have with my kids. So I'm going to give kind of a negative side story. To this. I don't know if it's a bad story, but certainly a, a different um, take on this because I don't think we necessarily were – up to speed on this before these things happen. So the first one was happened to us when we were living overseas, we were living in China and Holly's dad was, um, he was dying and Holly got on the plane to fly over on the way over. He passed away. I get on the plane to go catch up with her so that we can have the funeral and stuff. We had talked about bringing our two children over with us so they could be a part of this funeral experience. And we also decided not to bring them. They were nine and seven at the time. It's about a 16-hour flight to get to, you know, where we needed to go. And then it was going to be a relatively quick turnaround to come back, you know, to China after that. So logistically in our minds, what we said was this is too difficult for them to handle. Mm -hmm. Okay. Talking to them later as adults, it was interesting to hear how that landed with them differently. With our oldest child... Uh, she didn't really have much of a of a recollection of that moment, right? Especially, certainly not anything traumatic for her. Like she kind of recalled, you know, she's like, "Dad, I was kind of young. I don't really remember." Our son, our oldest son, though, really did have a strong reaction to not being a part of that, mm -hmm. and how it developed or when it developed, I'm not exactly sure. But the point of that particular story was we didn't really sit down and talk to them about it. We as parents made the choice. And to be honest, we probably, if we dug a little bit deeper, made the choice because Holly didn't know what she was going to need. I didn't know what she was going to need. I didn't know what I was going to need. And to have our two kids with us, we didn't know what the heck we could do with them yeah. in that moment, right? The other one was when our older daughter went to college. And I didn't learn this until you know later as, as an adult. Uh, we were still in China. She came back to the States to go to college, and she went to college uh, in Pittsburgh where we had a lot of family. So we thought, oh, she's all set up. You know, we raised her to be really independent, and she got family around her. She's in this great school, and she, but she really felt disconnected from us. She felt a little bit alienated because we were still living in China, and she was going to what she considered a foreign country to go to college because she had been in China for 12 years. So it was really interesting how this, and again, we didn't think about it. We didn't necessarily have a prior conversation about it. And 
I don't know if she would have thought about it, but post experience nice. reflecting back on it, we're like, wow, if we had maybe just talked that through a little bit more, we might've anticipated where she would be. And we had kept in touch, but there's a 12 hour time difference. You know, her night is our morning, our morning, whatever. So it, it just became difficult. And I didn't realize until later when she and I were talking about it, how much it really did impact her yeah. um, that we had this, uh, I guess it wasn't really much of a choice because that's where she went to school, but we didn't talk about what would happen to our connection. Mm, yeah, that's so, that's so important. And I think this really goes to the heart of the fact that parenting is often trial and error. And hindsight too. We think we make really good choices or we think we make the best choices with the information we have. Mm -hmm. But if we don't have the information from a person who's a big part of the decision-making process, then we have less, then there is a, a greater chance we're making an error here instead of a success. So I think the thing about connection having a deep and true connection to your family and your loved ones and your, and your friends, really learning about what makes them tick, what gets them excited, what makes them sad, what learning them means you'll, you'll have a greater awareness of, okay, I know my son doesn't want to have to deal with X, Y, and Z. And he's like, he's a person who'd rather not talk about this. Um, I know my daughter would rather talk this out. You know, I know all of those things. But if you haven't made deep and true connections with your family members, yeah, then it's going to be a lot of times making shots in the dark and making decisions because you're like, I think this is the most beneficial decision I can make on my child's behalf. Right. And it makes sense to do that when they're young and they have a lot less experience and knowledge. And you certainly don't want to heap a lot of things on their shoulders that they're not ready for. You reminded me of something. When I was, I want to say, when I was 12, my mom started making me and my sisters like do the bills with her, learn about Um, the bills. Oh, yes. Finance, finance 101. And then when I was 14, she started showing me her taxes. She would make me sit down with her to do taxes together. Wow. And I hated it. But I must tell you that as an adult, looking back on that, I understand that for her, us being competent as kids mm-hmm. was so vital. She taught me and my sisters how to change the oil in our cars. There you go. And I'm like, why do we have to know this? We could just take it to a mechanic. And it's like, well, you know, my mom felt that being competent was one of the most important things. And I, I totally understood that. And she would jump into things that she had no knowledge of, but was willing to learn. And that kind of drove my learning philosophy as well. My father too, when he was interested, he was more self-focused on like what interested him. He would dive into really deep. My mom was like, you need to be competent at a level, at a certain level on most things across the board, you know, know how to basic cook, know how to do, how to retile your bathroom. (laughs) Okay. You never know. know. That was probably not something I needed to know, but certainly (laughs) something she wanted to do. She's like, I want to retile my bathroom. I'm going to learn how to retile my bathroom. But what it told me was that she wasn't afraid to try. And therefore it gave me that sense Mm -hmm. of like, okay, I should be capable of trying. But it also gave me a greater understanding of who she was. And so 
-hmm. one thing that I think parents get so worried about is I can't keep these decision-making things on my kids' shoulders. There are ways to have conversations with your kids where you're not really forcing them to be the decision-makers. Right. You're helping them be a part of the process. Mm-hmm. For instance, and I know you watched my TEDx talk on this, mm-hmm. when I talk about my cat, our cat dying, You're right. We it was inevitable that she was dying. She was 19. Mm-hmm. She was get she was very sick. We knew the inevitable was coming and she was starting to get into a lot of pain. So we knew the decision-making process of putting her down was that decision was definitely on us. My son mm-hmm. wasn't going to be a part of that. He wasn't even four yet. Yeah. But I also knew that just having her disappear one day was not going to be beneficial to him. He needed to be able to process the emotions that would come with losing her. Right. And I was like, okay, how do we do this in a age appropriate way? Mm -hmm. There are ways to have hard conversations with our loved ones in an age appropriate manner. Instead of just taking them away from that, where they don't even get a decision or be a part of the process yeah think about it from an autonomy perspective right Mm -hmm. if if this thing is going to affect them as a person then the best way that you can help them be a part of this is to connect first with who they are to better know what will make the most sense in this situation yeah that's okay. I love that connection because and it, we talk about these topics as if they are disconnected and they are not. not. They go hand in hand with each other, and you know we'll try to emphasize that as we go. And I think it was interesting what I was thinking as you were talking about that that level of connection and knowing somebody and how we know somebody. Um, toward the end of my dad's life, who passed away just a couple of years ago, I of course grew up with him right for decades. And I had a relationship with him that was of a certain quality and character. And then we, he got on social media and I got on social media and it was almost as if we were connecting in two very different ways. When we connected in person, it was very much father, son, uh, all those kinds of stuff that you would expect, you know, in, in a face-to-face or a quote unquote real world you know, thing I would call him for advice, you know, he would ask me about things. It was kind of that, but our connection on, on social media was a completely different kind of connection is almost a person. I didn't know at all. Mm. It was almost, and, and, uh, and, and I think he felt the same way because we actually <laughs> on social media, we'd be like, I don't know who you are. Well, I don't know who you are, you know, but when we talked on the phone, it was not that it was a very interesting dichotomy between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, to have to experience that. And I think that, that, you know, we talk about connection, but what we're really talking about to bring it all the way back to the beginning is what do you know about the other person? Mm-hmm. You know, do you know them through their profile pic and their, you know, their about, about me section and their social media account, like, you know, where they graduated or where they live. Is that really all, you know, or mm-hmm. is there something more to know? And if there's something more to know, how do you get to know that? Yeah, that's such a good point. And it drives a bigger piece of this, which is that when social media is there, I think about this from a really big tech, zoom out big tech perspective. Even like when you're driving in a car, when you're driving in a car, you're surrounded by a vehicle. Yeah. 
And when somebody cuts you off, you get re- that road rage that happens. It's a lot easier to click into that road rage because you see the other car and you're not, you're not feeling the person behind that. So when I think about it from a tech perspective, one of the reasons why cyberbullying is so pervasive, why when you make a comment on someone on on some video and somebody else comes in and and like makes assumptions about you and you're like, well, they're totally off and you get offended. Well, the reason you're getting offended is because you're like, they don't know me. Right. That's true. They don't know you and you don't know them. Therefore, you don't understand all that's behind their comment, all that's behind the reason they cut you off. That not knowing is much greater than the little bit that you do know about them, which is in one comment or in one slight of cutting them off. But imagine, imagine if you drove up alongside that person, you were about to flip them off and you see them clenched and totally freaked out, maybe tears pouring down their face. And in that moment, they look over at you and you can see they're scared, they're upset, they're hurt. They're all of those emotions happening in their face. What does that do for you? Because for me, it tells me there's a lot happening underneath the surface of what I see. And when we bring in this day and age, this social media connection, disconnection, into the nuanced conversations. We also, we learn different facets of of people we care about, right? Like you learning about your dad from a different perspective, him learning about you. That when, you know, that taught me a lot of things about other people that I didn't know. But we start to understand that deep and true connection. It's really hard to achieve because people have so many facets to themselves and you will never be able to link in with their mind, their thoughts, their body experiences, their emotional experiences. And emotions are things that you can't reason with. So Mm -hmm. when I think about that on a connection level, I think about how deep that well goes. It's almost infinite. And therefore, when we make assumptions about somebody based on surface knowledge or even a couple steps down in there in that well maybe we do know them fairly well but how can we say we ever truly know all there is to know about somebody unless we're actually invading their body you know like yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> it, it, so when when we think about it from that perspective we are then able to achieve a greater level of empathy because we can also recognize that what we don't know is very often much greater than what we do know about them. So making educated guesses, bringing this back to like parenting, Mm -hmm. making educated guesses about what your child does or doesn't want, what they need or don't need is also has to be in my, in line with what you do and don't know about them. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and there's one more thing to this too. I think about this from a evolutionary perspective as well, but understanding that babies born are not born with a perfectly clean slate. Right. They are not tabula rasa. That's not, yeah, exactly. it's not that's a fallacy. What we now know genetic coding wise is that about 40 to 60%, anywhere from 40 to 60% of somebody's personality traits, behavioral traits, um, mental health traits, all of these things is about 40 to 60% of their makeup. Mm-hmm. 
that means that we're at a 40 to 60% of the rest of that is their learned experience in life. Right. And, and that is crazy because that means that while they're not a blank slate, experience, life nurturing, all of those things, those are the things that we can help provide them with, right. which will then give them, which will then give them the all of who they are. That's absolutely true. And so A, let's stop arguing about nature versus versus nurture. It's yes. just a stupid argument that doesn't apply anymore. Right. It also indicate, you know, it also brings up the idea that I may not be able to fully provide what my child needs. So it does take a village, right? Yes. Um, it's an interesting story. I did youth ministry for a little while. And I always thought, oh, I was the cool youth minister guy, right? And you got along with the kids. We, we had a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And so I thought when my kids were teenagers, I would be like the coolest dad youth minister to my kids. And it was nothing like that. Like <laughs> they needed somebody else to be their quote unquote youth pastor, youth minister at the time. Just like the kids I was with uh, when they were young needed me right they it's a separation with their parents but they if you separate from one thing you try to connect to something else mm-hmm. kind of idea right so That's it comes back to this not only do we need connection just to know one another but we need connection to fill in the gaps where we can't f- uh, have that resource or that thing that somebody might need i may not have it but i know a guy right the phrase i know right. a guy or i know a gal right yep um kind of thing yeah, that goes to building community because connection doesn't just come from your family and your friends. It comes from building communities. Right. One of the things I hear all the time is about isolation, is about mm-hmm. um, people feeling disconnected, like they're going through an experience and they feel like nobody could possibly understand what they're going through. So this goes back to the empathy connection, right? Um, when I, I run an infertility support group and one thing that I, I constantly hear over and over again is that when people are struggling with infertility, they feel very isolated, very alone. They don't feel like anybody really understands what they're going through. When the truth is there's a wealth of people out there who have experiences with infertility, but it's just not, it's hard to find people who are willing to openly talk about it and create communities yeah. to talk about it. So, yeah. you know, I work with an amazing group of um, the, uh, an amazing organization that does this and uh, they we build this in this ability to connect and i always say this it's kind of like you know like you're in a life preserver boat right you're you're you you had a a big uh, situation happen and all of you jumped into the life preserver boat together and now you're not all doing the exact same role. One person is like, okay, we got to steer clear of the boat. Another person's handing out life jackets. Another person's got the binoculars. Oh my goodness, let's see if there are any other survivors. Another person, right. everybody's got a different role. So it's slightly different from their perspectives, but we're all in this boat together. Right. And that feeling of community being in a boat, especially in crisis mode, mm-hmm. brings people together in a way that truly deeply resonates and connects them. Yeah. And I think that, that that connection drives the social connection that drives progress, greater progress in our world, greater progress in life. Because when you think about it, when you find a support community that's willing to support you, you in turn start to find yourself wanting to support others in kind. Absolutely. When we gain that deeper 
societal connection, we gain a greater desire to stop fighting with one another and try to strive for how can we make things better with this? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not about convincing somebody that I'm right and you're wrong. It's about what do I know about you and what do you know about me? It's a completely different way of approaching it. And too many of our systems, unfortunately, don't support that, but it's not hopeless. It's just a choice we have to make, right? Uh, We have to do it for ourselves and we have to do it for our kids. And people are probably thinking, whoa, you guys went totally out there with connection and being, (laughs) this is the point. When you're a parent, you are raising another person. Yeah. And that person's going to be part of society. And that means your role as a parent is probably the most important role any person will ever have because you're bringing up another human being into this world to be part of the collective that is a society. Unless they plan on doing a Ralph Waldo Emerson and going off into the woods and living on their own, <laughs> you're going to be connected in some way, shape, or form. Right. Whether that's in just you just want to be connected to your family and you're an introvert and your only connection is to your spouse or your partner and your child or your children, or whether that connection is to a gr- the greater society as a whole in what you do, it's important to remember that. And connection, this is really important, guys, connection is a survival mechanism. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like one of our core human needs is to be connected. And that's the self-interest connection. When you think about it, it is a survival mechanism. Babies are helpless. So our survival instinct is to depend on somebody else to care for our literal survival needs when we're mm-hmm. little. That means that building that connection is vital to your right. ability to continue living. Yes. Yeah. So I want to say this because I think this is one of the most important things. And it's something I've seen so much. When parents and their infants connect, it's a beautiful thing. But when they disconnect, it's tragic. So I need to say this. Please put your phone down. Make eye contact with your baby. Let them see your face. Because here's what happens. An infant is born. If, as long as they're born without developmental delays or disabilities, they're born with a basic vision, which is not even totally clear and focused yet. Right. They're born with vocal cords where they're able to cry and, and tell you that they need their needs met. And they're born with, with um, the sensory touch of touch. So your first connection to an infant is through eyesight, through sound, and through touch. Mm-hmm. And, and through taste as you, but even their taste buds are not developed at that point, right? Through basic right. nurture and taste and smell. So their initial contact with you is all of those things. If you have your phone in front of your face like this, now a baby's window field of vision is very narrowed. If your phone is like this going, hi, little one. Oh, aren't you so cute? Coo for me again. Coo for me. What you're doing, and nobody will see this just yet, but um, my face, my eyes, and most of my facial expressions were blocked in that moment with my phone in front of my face. Mm-hmm. Your baby is not seeing your eyes, and they're not seeing your facial expressions. Right. So they can hear, and maybe they can touch because, you know, they're maybe they're on a mat or something, so they can feel the mat, but they're not feeling the comforting touch that is human, human touch. Right. What you are doing is almost as bad as what people do to prison inmates when they put them mm-hmm. in isolation. Yeah. You are isolating 
some of their core human connection needs to mm-hmm. be able to see your facial expression and your eyes. Right. And they hear you, yes, but they can't hear, they can't suss out the nuance of those sounds because they're not connecting it with your eyes and your face. Yeah. And that's it's how, yeah, that's how they learn to they learn to mimic things. Exactly. And you get this disconnect between uh what you're saying. And the expressions on your face, well, they can hear it, but they don't get, again, to go back to what you're saying, they're not sure what they're supposed to do. They don't know how to mimic. They can't mimic. And that's how they learn. That's how we as humans learn emotional uh, states, how to read each other's emotions, how to understand each other through our facial expressions, which we know is the dominant way of understanding one another. Yes. And if you don't have that, then you get this disembodied noise yeah. the sound but you can't you can't associate or you learn to make up what to associate it with right and then, something else. and then you have that discordance and so i i say this with all love and respect for human beings as they are if you have an infant put your phone down yeah. okay there will be plenty of time to take that but i'm going to tell you this right now the video you take of that will be so disconnected from your child's core memory of the connection they make to you. Your greater responsibility in that moment is making your truest connection to your child. And then your child will be able to make eye contact with you as they get older, to socialize, to read your facial expressions, to read other people's emotions so much better. That social emotional intelligence starts at birth. It starts at infancy. It starts from that moment of interconnection, touch, human touch, all of these things. I will tell you, you cannot do enough of that when they're little. There, there, there's no too much touch, too much facial expression, too much eye contact for an infant. And see it every day in my son. He is such a social butterfly and he loves to connect with people. And then I see sadly other people so disconnected. You know, when I go and I pick up my kid from school and I'm standing there with other parents and everybody's got their phone in their face and nobody's making eye contact with one another. It saddens me as it is one of our core needs as human beings. So if you do nothing else, put the phone down. Put it down when you're with your children. Put it down when you're in the space of other human beings and just just make a connection. Look at this weather. Isn't this crazy? You know? And I I don't think we're not making an anti-tech statement here. We're making a pro-connection statement. Yes. We understand the value of having our phones and our little computers and stuff. That's that's not what we're talking about. We're just trying to say, look, when we talk about connection, we talk about understanding, knowing. Uh, each other a little bit better, there's things that interfere with that and make it way more difficult and end up creating a situation that we might not have wanted to create. Yeah. Yeah. So there we are. And I promise you, your children will be so much better off for it when you make that connection. And there will be plenty of time where they're not going to want to make any eye contact with you. Okay. Yeah, 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 that's coming. That's coming. That's coming. That's coming. We don't say that lightly. Um, that comes, and there will be time and space for you to be your child's friend later on. And we'll talk a lot about that as well, yeah. because 
your role as a parent changes over time. And again, it's trial and error, trial and error. And sometimes it's backward reflecting and hindsight, which is 2020, that tells you "Mm, maybe we should have had this conversation sooner. But it's never too late to start. Yeah. To reiterate, we have not perfected this at all. Absolutely. If we did, we would be charging people money and 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 retiring. But uh, <laughs> we're working through it. We want to work through it with you, the listener. Yes, absolutely. And on that note, happy parenting, people. And may the evolution of your parenting skills be always and forever in your favor. Always. <laughs>